Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Nigel Barker. A lot of you may know him from The Next Top Model, which actually airs in over 140 countries. So that was a little bit surprising to me. And also hosted a modeling competition series called The Face alongside Naomi Campbell and his latest hit show, Top Photographer. And uh, that's gotten great reviews and it's running so far for two seasons. He's also the author of two beauty books, Beauty Equation and Models of Influence, which that was a beautiful book. I have it as a coffee table book. Sometimes I even use it to hold up a crooked table, but otherwise it's a beautiful book. He's a humanitarian and does so many things for so many people. Um, let's see, the Elizabeth Glazier Pediatrics AIDS Foundation, which is amazing. That was Paul Michael Glazier's uh, wife who passed away many, many years ago. And he won an award for Dreams Are Not Forgotten. He's a real humanitarian, Make-A-Wish Foundation, Fashion Targets Breast Cancer. We get it. You're a do-gooder. Love it about you. In January, I, you just launched a fitness and wellness platform called Vive, which sounded pretty cool to me. And even more so, which I loved, is the gym that you opened up, the Dog Pound. I mean, I love that. I want to hear about that because I was a gym nut when Equinox first opened up before it was a corporate company and it was fantastic. And I think what you're doing is kind of similar to what that was back in the day, which I love. And you also have this podcast, which I listen to, and it's great. And you do it with a boarding school pal, Tom Astor, the Shaken and Stirred Show. That's pretty cool. I like the name. I hope there's alcohol involved in that. And you also created a furniture line, which I can't wait to look at. And fragrances. Is that true? You have fragrances? This is all true. First of all, I wasn't sure where this was going. This is like the longest, greatest intro of all time where all my anything I've ever done in my career is going to be listed out, Rich. So thanks very much for having me on. And uh, yes, it's it's all it's all true. Uh, you know, where do you want to end? Where do you want to start? I don't it goes all downhill from here. Don't get too excited. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the fragrances are true. That's incredible. The fragrances. Okay, we had a guy called uh, Vince Spinato. He was a chemist and a nose for some of the biggest fragrances. He does it for Jennifer Lopez and for major, major, um, you know, perfume companies. Have you ever heard of him, Vince Spinato? I don't know him personally, but I, I am aware of those fragrances that he's actually created and what have you. And, you know, what I created was a completely different take on it. So, you know, but it's it's all to do with your own personal brand and business model and what you're looking to try and create in your life and, and you know, and what that means for you as a brand. And, you know, it, so for me, I've always looked at things with a direction of sort of I guess fashion and entertainment is what I where I've been sort of working in for thirty odd years, one way or another. Um, but then, how does that intersect with other things in the world? So, how does that intersect with sort of furniture and architecture? How does that intersect with, say, books and writing? And and how does that intersect with music? And, um, and so, whatever. How does it intersect with fitness and wellness and health? Uh, and, and the interesting thing is, is it it always does. So it, it always comes around, and I can always sort of make sense of it in some sort of category and even in for example in the hotel business you you may think well how does that work with say fashion or photography but if you think about it there's a lot of design in any hotel um there's also signature fragrances that every single hotel in the world that's sort of of name has its own signature scent and there are people who create that smell as you walk into a hotel what does that smell smell like so that you remember the hotel when you go in there 
you know, what are the pictures on the walls, the photography, what, what's, well, you know, what, the, what's the menu, what's the library like? So I've done all those sorts of things for brands like Marriott and what have you and across the board. So hence, I was able to plug in everywhere and, and created the sort of, you know, business that I have now. Well, I think what's amazing is that I mean, you are a brilliant photographer, I have to say. I mean, I love your work. I've seen your work. And I find that people that are as talented or as, you know, as much of an artist as you, it kind of goes in every direction. It can't just be in one direction. You know, it can't just be artistry. So, you know, you have the knack for design, you know what you like, and I guess you have the capacity and you're not lazy. So you implement and you actually do these things that you set out to do, which is amazing. I'm the opposite. I'm lazy. In my mind, when I'm sleeping, I have a thousand things I could be doing the next day. I wake up, the kids drive me crazy. I'm, I'm done. I'm done with everything. You know, it's a combination of things like, I guess, guilt and everything else that you might, you know, sometimes you feel, I feel like I should be doing more. I should be achieving more. I only have one life. I've got to do this. I got to do that. You know, the thing about me personally is that I, I've never liked being told that I can't do something. I, I'm very resistant to sort of that's not, you can't do that, or that's not for you, or that's, something a boy should do or a girl should do or this person tall person should do or a short person should do or you have to be this or that i'm like no no no. if i want to have a go i want to have a go i want that opportunity that opportunity is what's so exciting for me and and i feel like if you live life you know you should really not live with regret with, with regrets you want to be able to say that you gave yourself that opportunity and you had a go and you know if you put your heart and, and soul behind it and passion behind it you can't really go wrong it is my you know I guess, mantra, because it's, it's very easy for someone to say, Oh, you're a fashion photographer, why are you writing a book? You're a fashion photographer, why would you do furniture? You know, but then you look at someone like Cindy Crawford, and, you know, books, TV if you can see the beauty in photography, if you can take such beautiful photographs, how could you not design furniture? How could you not see the beauty in furniture? I totally get it. I would trust your furniture more than I would trust somebody else's furniture that maybe has no background of visual, you know what I'm saying? Being visual and being visually beautiful or taking photographs. No, I, I totally respect that. But I don't want to go too far ahead because I need to get background on you. I know you live in New York City and I know that you're now up in the, and where are you in the? It was near Woodstock. In the near Castle. Woodstock. But I know you grew up in London, right? That's where you were born. Can you give me a little bit of back history about you? Absolutely. I mean, so I'm a, a, a boy. Well, I was a boy who of. Well, I'm glad you were a boy. So now that we settled that, so you were a boy. I, I was. I was a boy. I still, <laughs> okay, I still am a boy. Actually. Well, today you never know. Okay, so good. But I, but I don't necessarily like to go by any definition. To be honest with you, but <laughs> I, um, I, what I was going to say was is that I was a, a boy of mixed heritage, which is plays a very important part in my background story. You know, I, I'm part Sri Lankan and my other my mother's from Sri Lanka and uh, which it happens to be the you know new New Year's Day today actually uh, in Sinhala. Well, and, happy New um, Year. Thank you. And, uh, and and at the same time my father is from Eng it was English and Irish. And um, I grew up in the 70s in England as this kid that really found, you know, had a sort of not an identity crisis, but there was a situation where the Sri Lankan community didn't really embrace us because I was part only half Sri Lankan. And then the, you know, the, the English community, you know, you were always being asked where you were from because, you know, despite the fact that to, to most Americans, they hear my voice and say, oh, well, he must be English. When you, when you grow up in England, they look at you and they, they, the accent doesn't do anything to them because that's the accent they all have. So they, but they look at the color of your skin and, and ironically, because, you know, clearly 
you know, race is a big issue in the United States and all over the world, but it's, you know, people often see me and assume I'm white because of the sound of my voice. But, but that's, uh, that's one of those interesting things. So yes, it, it, I, that was my sort of growing up experience was this sort of struggle for identity and to find a place where I was happy and what have you. And, and I went to a very privileged English boarding school um, and where I actually got into, despite the fact that I was, I was studying maths, chemistry, physics, biology, and I was you know, really directed at becoming a doctor and doing pre-med. Uh, and that's where I was headed straight after sixth form in England, which is sort of high school. You know, I, I simultaneously was doing pattern design, tailoring, weaving, and learning to really make clothes. And that was my sort of pastime. And I remember my father telling me, you know, you must you have been, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you must have been an only child, were you? Because I'm one of six. You're one of six and you were such an overachiever. I usually find people like you that are such overachievers that do everything. It's because they're the only child and the parents have them doing a million things. So you're one of six and you still were doing all of these activities. Yeah, but I, you know, it's one of those things too, where, you know, although I was one of six, it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was a crowd. My, my parents were both married before. They both had two children from previous marriages. So these were my half brothers and sisters. We all lived together though in the same house. Um, but then my grandmother lived there. We had various other people living in the house. It was, and so actually in order to be a success or to rise above the noise and the chaos of the, even my house, you had to kind of create something for yourself. Otherwise you simply weren't going to be seen or heard, or you probably wouldn't even get food at the table, you know, because food's put down. And so you know, I very quickly tried to kind of create my own little world within the world so that I had my own things going on. And, you know, I have brothers who are a decade older than me and a sister who's five years younger than me. So there's, wow. there's quite a spectrum of us, you know. I totally get it. I'm one of five. And if you didn't make noise or burn down the house, you didn't get attention. So I totally get what you're saying. But were you a cool kid growing up? Were you a popular kid? I, w I was, I was, it's interesting. I was quite popular, but it was popular in, 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 you know, I got accused of a lot of funny things. For example, I, I was popular, but I never wanted to be a part of a clique or a group, right? So I was always sort of by myself doing my own thing as a, as a very independent individual. So I was, you know, friends with all the different groups. And I, I think I did that the same way as I did at my, at my home. You know, my, my brothers don't get on with each other. They are all kind of splintered, you know, in one way or another, some brothers have never spoken to each other in 30 years at this point. However, they all speak to me, right? I'm in communication with every single member of the family on a regular basis. And so I was that kind of conduit. And I think I've always had that ability. And so even at school, I refused to be a part of the goths or the jocks or this group or that group. I was friends with everybody, the artists, the, the jocks, the, you know, the guys into rock and roll music, the guys in the band, this guy, you know, all these different people. And, and actually at one point there was a big drug bust at the school. Um, my school was called Bryanston. They actually had, they gave the nickname Bry High at one point because there was such a drug problem there. And, you know, and they actually came to me and accused me of being the dealer because they're like, how come we've watched you? You are in touch with everybody. Everybody. It makes all sense. All the different groups and you're dressed really well. And I'm like, oh my God, cliche. That is like, you're assuming that I'm like the pimp or something. I've sort of got all the girls. <laughs> I'm like, not the case. I made my own clothes. I was actually dressing, dressed in my own clothes that I had stitched. And I actually had made a leather jacket out of leather that I sewed. I had a hat. I, I used to do the whole thing. So right? what made you do that? Because I know your parents, you know, you came from an affluent family, right? So you I were making a designer. I liked fashion 
very early on. My mother was a model. I was always into this sort of stuff. I've been into it since I was really a kid. So people sort of, it was ingrained into me to kind of, also I like to be creative. I like to do, literally, if I'm looking right now at my garden, I love to get my hands dirty. I like to do carpentry. I'm not afraid of doing the plumbing. I'm not afraid of doing the electric in the house. So it's like one of those things for me where that technical side of stuff and digging in, I found fascinating. And I wanted to have this really cool leather jacket. And my, one of my older brothers was in design. And he said to me, you know what he gave me? He said, I can't, he, he gave me three hides from, from Spain. And they were this chocolate leather and this dark mocha leather. And he literally just gave me the hides, massive pieces of leather. And, I, and he's like, yeah, make yourself a leather jacket. And I was like, uh, and I took my favorite, um, actually it wasn't mine, it was my brother's because he, he was my brother was really cool. And he had this really cool Levi's jean jacket. And I replicated it to a T in leather, including lining the pockets and the whole line is I ended up winning an award for this jacket um, back as a kid for a design award. Um, but it was this and it was this sort of this revelation that I can do it. I could do it. So it amazes me how you never got into designing clothing at all, since that was really one of your first things. And yet with everything you do now, and I'm sure you'll probably wind up doing that too, would be designing something. I don't know if it's leather jackets, but I'm sure at some point you'll be designing, you know, some something. Well, it goes towards, for example, I design furniture, right? So, so I have a furniture line. So their design is in there. I've designed it. Uh, uh, I've designed things like a uh, gin and tonic glass. We created the very first gin and tonic glass. I did a collaboration with Bacardi and Marriott Hotels, and they sell to this day at Marriott Hotels. It's the Nigel Barker. Uh, I actually have them in my office up there. Um, cocktail glasses. It's actually the first uh, first official glass for a gin and tonic ever created. Really? Um, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I like so, my drink, so yeah, I yeah, like the glass. Yeah, we, we, we do things. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm all about it. I think the fashion design thing, only because I worked with so many of them, it was sort of like, okay, am I going to you know, take away my own business and, and then not do that? And, and it's very difficult business to be in um, versus perhaps doing elements of collections with them. You know, So at one point I was talking to a designer about creating a whole line of clothing using photographic prints on, on, on stuff and what have you. And you know, so there are, I, I don't say no, it's not that I, it's just I haven't really been motivated to want to do it. Because yes. you're smart, and I'm going to tell you why you're smart. I think in the last couple of years, even before COVID, I think the high fashion, there's been an abundance of clothing from, you know, so many designers made in every part of the world at every price point that there's just too many products now out there. It's oversaturated. So I think what you're saying is that you're getting out your creativeness in the furniture, which I think is terrific. Furniture, photography, you know, whether it's podcasting, writing books, creating businesses, there's a lot of ways to be creative. And it's not by definition, when one thinks of an artist, you think of someone with a paintbrush or a pencil in their hand. Right. It, it, ultimately, you can be artistic and creative in, in literally anything, even in, for example, designing technology. I mean, there's there's the ability to see circuits. And I love things like physics. That's why I was actually quite good at it. And it was large part was the whole connection of, of circuits to going running from one to the other. And I have a, a love of, of electricity to this day. Hence, I do various things around my house and get right into it. And with all the plugs and things connecting to one another. And it's literally my mind goes off imagining the electricity charging through and the earth cables and you know what, what, it, what the neutral does to the positive. And, and you know, when you build these circuits and how they kind of connect to your light system and what have you. So, for me, there's art in everything, 
and then in creativity in everything clearly so it's it's it, 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 it's up to you to draw a line one because i became known as a photographer but that it, it was just a tool for creativity as an outlet right I want to go back a little bit. That's very true. And I want to get to your photography, but I want to still go back to you as a child because people like me and other people wonder, you must have been a really popular kid. I know you said you were not really popular. You kind of did your own thing, but people, I mean, you're a tall guy, you're six foot four, you're a good looking guy. Your mom was a model. You had to have people kind of, you know, swarming against you when you were younger, right? You weren't a nerd, were you? No, no, I wasn't a nerd. I was more one of the sort of, I, I, I stood out. Look, it's different because I went to an English boarding school and it was a very English affair. And so I was someone who, when I first went there, was racially discriminated against. And, you know, and for example, you know, you, you, talk, you mentioned, you know, I guess, the way I looked. My wife, for example, is, is in my opinion, very beautiful. She's been on the cover of Vogue's around the world. She so, is. I, I, know, I know your so wife mind, through Brad. I think right, Brad modeled with your wife. Beautiful. Right. So, however, she never had a boyfriend growing up at all. No one ever paid her any attention because she also lived in Alabama. And when she was down there, she was teased for having big lips by the, by other kids in, in the class and all the rest of it. So there's it doesn't always seem, you know, whatever you think about someone, it's, their reality could be quite different. And I grew up literally being called the N word at school. And there was one black kid at my school and he came. He was a big, tough guy when I was leaving. And he came and he was like, I'm going to be here for you, but I'm leaving in a year. So I wanted to teach you the ropes before you go about how you're going to cope. And luckily things did change, but it was it boiled down to me getting into a huge fight with one kid. And luckily I'm six foot four and I grew to be this height when I was 14. So I went to my school when I was 13, shot up six inches in one year, was able to take care of business year two. And after that, I got a lot of respect and things changed. But um, I was always out there on my own a little bit because right. you know, I didn't want to fit in. I didn't want to be, you know, and it worked out to your benefit. And isn't the universe great to have paid you back that way? I mean, look at you today. No, 100%. I mean, like, I, I, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't thank my lucky stars for everything. For everything. It's funny, you talk about your wife, and uh, Brad showed me pictures of your wife, and I think Brad modeled with your wife. Your wife um, is an identical twin, right? He is. He might have modeled with the other one. Oh, she might have modeled I'm with the other one? Joke. Oh, it was a joke. Okay. Yeah. But did you ever get them confused ever or oh, no? Yeah. Well, I still get them confused. You do. Okay. Cause I got yeah. Brad and Brian confused. He's an identical twin. And when I first met him, I'd always have to be like Brad or Brian, Brad or Brian quickly, quickly. Now I know the difference because of the way they dress, their bodies are a little different, but no, you the, still. So the, the thing there is, yes, clearly I know the difference, but, but, and they are different. Um, but they do a lot and I photograph them all the time. Right. So they have a great Instagram account called Chin Twins. Chin Twins. Yes, I know. I was going to say. But, but specifically when they do that, they dress identically and they do the same hair and they do the same everything. And they happen to be particularly identical, identical twins. Some identical twins have a lot of dif differentiating marks. Yes. They only simply literally have one thing, which is my wife has a mole by her eye and her sister has one on her chin. So if they're in profile, and they're, and they're doing yoga, which is what they do on their Instagram, and they're sort of flipping around. One point, one's in the air, the one's on the ground, then they flip around, and you're looking through a lens, you look away for a second. I'll put it this way, our dogs get confused. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. I believe it. I believe our, your dogs, our yes. Children, when they were little, would run up to the wrong mother all the time. <gasps> That's so right? funny, man. That is so their funny. Their grandfather just simply doesn't bother and just calls them sister, because he can't deal with who's who. Do you think they ever try to play tricks? Deliberately, uh, 
matrix. Yeah, they've course, I mean, yeah. they matrix throughout their whole life at school, even taking exams for each other, and you know, all that. They, you know, they're like, oh, you shouldn't say that. I never did know, but you know, they, kids do things. Kids do funny things and what have you. And you know, even to this day and age, there have been times where I've been with my sister-in-law, you know, and she's like. I can't be bothered to tell everyone I'm your sister-in-law. Just let's just pretend I'm your, I'm Chrissy, and it'll be easier because we're going to go into this function and we'll walk in. And a couple of times we've got busted where people are like, because she's like, they'll say something, and these are friends of ours who don't realize it's not my wife. You know, so, people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a funny situation where you know we're the best of friends. We've all we've all got on so well together, and you know, for 26 years we've been together. You know friends together i mean obviously married to her sister they lived together for years and obviously when i moved in, when i moved in we got married there you know, it was uh you know, we, we traveled the world together so there was a, a lot of we've really been very very close for a very long time so it's, it's it's an amazing unique experience for someone like myself because you although you marry one you also have a an identical twin sister you know in law who is you know, very protective of her sister, and therefore the only way that she's going to accept you is if she, you know, really has to. You have to be accepted into the family as be one of them. You know, and and they're very close. I mean, Brad and Brian are close, but Brian lives in California, so it's different for us. Do you ever get asked creepy questions about your wife and her sister? Oh, I mean, it's. It, I mean, it, I do. I always get questions, but I thought it's just by being gay, and you know how gay people are. They just the first thing they think about is that. Did you ever have sex it's, with, it's, you know, they just... it's not the first, it's not just being, it's nothing to do with being gay. That's just the thought of anybody. Anyone thinks that, I mean, lots of people think that and have suggested it and what have you, but the reality is, is, you know, no. Um, and, you know, and, and actually it's, it, it, all that sort of thing is, it's sort of, it's really boils down to sort of the sort of childish notion that everything boils down to simply having sex or something. And, right. and ultimately, you know, one of the successes of my relationship with my wife is that I actually love her. It sounds remarkable, right? But it really does, especially after all this time. But then well, again, I, I saw I, pictures I, of, your, of your wife. I don't blame you for still loving her. You should. Oh, no, no, for sure. But it, it has nothing to do with that. I mean, I, you know, she, you know, heaven forbid anything happened to her, but, you know, obviously I love her dearly for the person she is inside. And as trite as that might sound, you know, it, it, the reality is, is that it's a hundred percent true. And it has, you know, you, if you really do truly love someone, then that's what it's about. And in that capacity, you know, her twin yeah. sister has, is not her, you know, so they are not, they don't have, we, I know I've spent my life with, with my wife, not with her twin sister. So you know, we have, we, we obviously interact on a regular basis all the time, chat almost every day, still myself with her and everything else. But it's, you know, I have two, two children and all the rest of it with my wife. And, you know, it's, our, our life is something very unique and special and different from her sister's life. It's amazing. And, you know, listening to you, I feel like we did get the real you, the authentic Nigel Barker in the next top model, because you were the nice guy. You were the nice judge and you spoke to them the way you're speaking now. And it seems like it's really all very genuine. I, I never knew what else to do, to be honest. I, the was, producer didn't tell you be the nice guy. So you're going to be the nice guy. There was no, you know, I think they just. You know, the, one of the successes of a show like America's Next Top Model, for better or for worse, and whether anyone, you know, clearly it, it was at a time and place for all things, right? But ultimately, I didn't know anything other than to say what I what was on my mind and what I thought. Now, I never tried to be cruel because I never thought it was constructive. And I didn't like to be cruel. And, and, and I didn't want to be sarcastic necessarily, unless I thought it was net, perhaps I was going to be funny or something. Right. You know, and 
uh, and there's a, perhaps your English dry sense of humor, but there's also sort of a, a way in a, about the, the way I was taught to, to be in front of people and, and to talk to people that, you know, my mother taught me and my father taught me that it was just, there's a certain, I, I guess, decency, common decency about how you would treat anybody. Um, you know, obviously shows are edited to sound a certain way and look a certain way and feel a certain way. But, you know, yeah, I, I, I think I got the job and I maintained the job because I was able to just naturally be me and it worked and they needed a sort of down to earth, regular shooting, authentic, just guy right. on the show. How did you get the job? Was it a difficult job to get? Did you have a lot of competition? What were they looking for? I mean, other than a photographer, you couldn't have been the only photographer. No, you know, I think I was, I, it was probably luck. Uh, this is the story very quickly. You know, I had a good friend of mine, a guy called Nole Marin, who was um, a stylist and was actually a judge on the show as well. Eventually was working for season two with uh, Jay Manuel and the producers, Anthony Dominici and what have you. And they were looking for photographers for the next season just to be on an episode. And back then they would put everyone on film in advance and uh, they ended up filming me asked me a bunch of questions. I remember they gave me a magazine and said, oh, could you critique it? And I literally went through every picture and critiqued everything I saw, saw in it. Um, it was just very straightforward. And um, one of the funniest things about it is, is that I was nervous about going to this audition type of things. I'd never done it before really in that capacity, certainly not for TV and not as a photographer. I'd done modeling in the past, but this is a few years down the line. And you know, I was really a photographer at that point. And I had spoken to a good friend of mine who was a stylist, a guy called Timothy Rukoff. And he said, come on, come with me. I'll take you shopping. We're going to get you something special, fabulous. That's going to make you stand out. And you're going to look like a movie star. And I remember I go, okay. And he took me to this Prada sh shop and there was a pair of red sort of winkle picker type shoes and red <laughs> leather. And he's like, you've got to have those. And I'm like, red shoes. I'm like, why would I ever wear red shoes? He's like, because they're going to be amazing. Anyway, I bought these shoes and I trusted him and I wore them. And when I did this audition, a few people commented on them and they certainly stood out. And then when I got the call six weeks later, by the way, and I thought I hadn't got the job, they said, Nigel, you know, your video, and your casting tape has gone all the way up to the top executives uh, you know, at the network. They're asking whether you'd be interested in a permanent role on America's Next Top Model, not just as a judge, not just as a photographer, but as a judge for the whole season. Would you be interested? And I was like, well, I get in for a penny, in for a pound. Why would? Absolutely. That sounds interesting and exciting. And by the way, with hindsight, it was clearly a good idea. But back then, it was actually a bit of a risk because I was it, it, the fashion industry was very you know, exclusive and they didn't like mass media. They didn't like you to sell out. And this was sort of a sellout in a way. So I was a little concerned, but I thought, yeah, at the same time, it was a risk worth taking. And I could feel there was a change, a move in the world away from traditional media into things like social media and television reality shows. But anyway, the producer said to me, well, fantastic. And if you don't mind, we'd love it if you wore those red shoes on the show. <laughs> And it was their one note. So and I was like, wow. You know, so I've still got them to this day, actually. Do you? Good. You should hold on to them. So how do you think a show like that would fly today with I mean, cancel culture? I mean, what do you think? Do you think that a show like that would I mean, not fly? In its current, not, in it, not in the way we did it, but, you know, I think it was, it was also, you know, very new and groundbreaking at the time. And there was risk to it, you know. Yeah. And there was you know, a lot of things that we said and did were probably not PC, you know, and, and, you know, and I think that it wasn't that we were trying not to be PC. I think actually we were trying to be helpful. We were trying to be groundbreaking. We were actually trying to start conversations and, and, and get people to talk about stuff, whether it was always done in the best way. 
I think it wasn't done deliberately not in the best way is the, is the thing, which is the thing where sometimes I think it's, it's very easy with hindsight to be to sort of assume that everyone was people were out there to do someone, you know, upset someone or create something. It, it, it was also a reality television show. So yeah, they were editing it for drama and they were trying to create drama. To your point, I was lucky that I that I was sort of not really a part of that. I was right. never really involved in it and they kept me out of it. So I was very much not a part of the general conversations of producers and how the plan right. was and what was happening, what the storyline was. And it was, I was able to sort of maintain my own kind of shell around what I was doing, what I was about. And that helped me with my own character on the show too. Okay. That was good for you. But you know, for the people watching, we want the entertainment. We want the political incorrectness. It's very boring now to watch and have to watch your words and everything you see is so politically correct and so contrived and so structured. It's it's not entertaining. I think that this whole cancel culture is kind of hurting the entertainment business. Well, I think without a doubt. I mean, it's, it's yeah, I was talking to actually my daughter who's 12 today about it, you know, in the car and she was, she actually said that she didn't like cancel culture and she's 12, right? She, you know, she said it's, it's not fair if some, you know, if you can't say certain things. And this was my 12 year old saying, even in a historical reference, I can't say something that was said at a certain time in history now, because if I say it, I'm being this or I'm being that, you know, and I'm not being that. I don't believe in that. I'm actually completely anti that, but it's just but that word just as a word. It's like the word doesn't exist. It's been erased yet. Other people can say it. And, I think it actually had to do with the word, you know, for example, with someone in a song, um, they were bleeping it out on hits one on Sirius XM. You know, she was sort of saying, well, you know what, if, if another singer sang that lyric, you know, they would actually, it would be canceled. But for a this, different race, you're saying of a different race. Of a different race. It was the word ho. And they, they were removing it from the song. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, they, 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 he's not saying that word. And he's like, yeah, I know. But if, you know, she, my daughter is 12 year old. She said, you know, it's funny. I've always wondered if it was a white singer singing that and use that lyric, he would be canceled. But, you know, in, in a lot of this rap that I love, he says, I love this song. You know, they, they can say it, but why do they say it? Why can they get to say it? It's not nice. It's not nice to call me a hoe. You know, it's my 12 year old daughter. I'm like, no, of course not, darling. And, but I, and she's like, I think no one should say it. But it was just, you know, it, one of those things where just out of the mouths of babes, you know, you can't she's, she's very smart. I think we could learn a lot from the younger generation because this is what we're doing for them. You know, we have seven year old twins and you have two beautiful children. I know you, your daughter's older, right? Your son's younger. I, no, my daughter's 12. My son's 15. Oh, and he's 15. Wow. Okay. So you've got kind of adult kids now. That's a lot to worry about, but they're the ones that really get the feeling of what's going on. And it's really very hypocritical. I mean, the whole thing, because on one hand, Nigel, you have the whole community of Hollywood saying, giving you things you can say and not say, do and not do, but yet it's okay for them to say and do whatever they want. And that's the part I think that is so frustrating for so many people. I understand too, you know, clearly why people don't want to say certain things or, or, or assume certain things or to, to, you know, to appropriate certain things or I 100% get it, you know, and I'm actually in this interesting position where, you know, as I mentioned, I sort of grew up being racially discriminated against, yet I'm also sort of seen as being white or being seen as that or, and there is a sort of, you know, and one can't ever take pity on your, you know, I'm not going to take pity on myself because I've been incredibly privileged. That's not to say that I haven't been beaten up in the schoolyard and put my face in the dirt, you know, for literally the color of my skin, you know, in, in a country where, you know, if you're from a country like Sri Lanka or India or 
Pakistan or Bangladesh, you know, that that those communities have suffered racially in communities in, in Europe and certainly in the UK, you know, and and are you know a minority, you know. So you, it, it's a sort of a different, and, and although they are in this country too, it's perhaps not a minority that you hear much about, right? They, it's not sort of that, that those communities tend to sort of almost fade away in this country. And certainly, if you look at media and entertainment, how many people are there of Indian descent? You know, when I say Indian, I'm talking about from India, right? Right. Descent, uh, Sri Lanka, uh, and what have you, that are on television. There's like, that, that have a public face. These, we're not even seen, we're not in anywhere. There's like very few models. There's very few people in entertainment, Sanjay Gupta on CNN, you know, like, and, and I hardly, and I'm only, and I'm not even 100%. So it's like, there are literally, as a, as a group of people, which meanwhile, the Indian population is like the largest population on earth. There's more Indians than anyone else. Yet we we sort of disappear on television in the rest of the world. It's interesting. It it is interesting. But do you think what happened to you in school is still going on today? Yeah, it you is. Do. It does happen. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's different now. I mean, it, it, when I came to America, the biggest difference for me is I saw children that and people that I'd never seen before visually because I'd never seen the mixing pot of the beautiful colors all mixed together like you have here. I never seen a you know a black kid with green eyes before. I never seen that before. And and it, what what you got in the UK when I was a kid in the seventies was the salad bowl the communities, but they all stayed themselves. I came to America and it was the soup, right? It was all they were mixed together and blended. And I was like, oh my goodness, like that person, this person, that uh, different heights, different shapes, different colors. And I fell in love. That's why I wanted to live in America and actually live in the in New York. It's because I was I, no one asked me where I was from when I came here, and it was. A revelation to me um, that I'm like, wow, I can kind of exist here and just be my thing and perhaps be known for what I'm talented at or what I'm skilled at versus how I sound or what I look like. And, and so that was, you know, really special. And, and England has changed. It has changed a lot. But, you know, there's also, you know, when you look at things like Brexit and, and, and that pullback from Europe and what have you, you look what happened with Meghan Markle and various other things. Like, I know that, you know, one may have their own opinion on all these things. Well, I wanted to ask you your opinion because, you know, as a Brit, I want to ask you your opinion. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But first of all, do you follow, you know, still what goes on in Britain and, and the royal family? Not really. I've never been a huge royal sort of, let's say, fan. I'm not a not fan, but I'm not someone who's like cares particularly one way or the other. It's not my world, my life, okay. or anything I really have much connection with. So, you know, I. I Do you I, watch I, The Crown? Have you watched The Crown? I did watch Elements of the Crown. I liked Victoria, the show before that, too. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I find a lot of that quite fascinating. But then I also kind of tune in, tune out because it's. You know, not necessarily my what I love. I, I'm a big sort of sci fi fantasy guy. So that's okay. my world. So where do you fall on the Meghan Markle? Where do you fall on that topic? Well, I mean, look, there's... I, I mean, I, Piers Morgan got so much shit for um, just not liking her. But I, apparently you're just not allowed to not like someone anymore if they're Black. Well, I mean, I, it's, I think it's, it's, it's deeper than that, obviously. I think really that's not, you know, necessarily... I don't know if that's accurate, but, you know, that there is, you know, I don't know the situation. You know, the reality is, is that I feel that there's obviously six of one and half a dozen of another in any situation. And you have to take the full story to be completely accurate in these sorts of things. Well, but I that's what he said. He said he didn't like her. And I guess they accused him of being a racist. And, you know, that's when he stormed off the set. And that's when, you know, he got fired. So right. it's I, I saw that. I saw that. And I look, and I, I, unfortunately, there's these things are always over the top and way too reactionary, you know, and I, 
I wish he hadn't stormed off. I wish he'd stayed. I think he said the same thing himself, right? I agree. I agree with you. I think he should have stayed there and just, you know, talked it out. You know, if you walk away, if you leave it, then people make their own minds up about what is true or not. You know what I mean? Like if you're not there, if you don't speak up, then it, you know, kind of disappears. But, you know, know, at the same time, I think some of his comments are too harsh. I mean, I think he, you know, is for me, it's it's, he's over the top and, and pushes too many buttons. But it's also television too. People like to do that, and that's what conversation is about. And we talk about freedom of, of of speech and freedom of the press and all the rest of it. And yet we kind of want it both ways, right? It's that sort of you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And that goes both ways, by the way. It does. I know, but you know, it's funny. I don't feel that way. I'm one of the people that you can disagree with anything, and you can say something about gay people that you think you know you could not want to make a cake for me, or and I'll still d- defend the person that doesn't want to make the cake. You know, I mean, I'll still defend them. There's a freedom of speech, a freedom of your own business, unless your business is actually being subsidized by the government, then okay, you have to treat us all equal. But if you've got an individual business, listen, in my business, I want to be able to refuse business if somebody is not treating me properly, you know, for any reason. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the situation, but I do agree there has to be a discussion. And this is where I think um, things get very murky. People just wind up storming off sets, they fight, and they want to have things their way, but yet they don't want to discuss it. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. I hear you. I think that, you know, dialogue, communication, discussion is vital, is clear. But, you know, the, the problem is half the time is that, you know, you're known for your, your the sort of the, the loudest thing that happens, and you know someone like Piers Morgan would probably be known for storming off set is the number one thing. You know, right? But, Unfortunately, right. With his whole he, career, you know, although he is someone who seems to have managed to reinvent himself so many times throughout his career, anyway. Um, you know, and controversy, controversy, or whatever, however you like to say it, and wherever you are in the world, you know, it seems to follow him. But you know, at the same time, that's also again that boils down to television and community. You know, that that being right there in the heart of the argument. Right. You're, you're at the heart of the storm, you're always going to in, involve, be involved with those sorts of topics. So tell me about your new show, Thank Top you. Photographer. I want to hear about Top Photographer. Well, so Top Photographer is on, on standby at the moment, in large part because of, of the pandemic. So we're hoping to make it go into another season. And it's photographers challenging one another um, in order to find who's the next top photographer and right. super fun. We shot, it was all, you know, it was a YouTube show and um, we cast it through social media, through Instagram. And, you know, the idea being that there was just so many great photographers out there these days. So many, so many of us have the ability to take a great shot with our phones even. You know, was your- that your idea? Yeah. It was a great idea. I think everybody is so sick of other reality shows that have to do with looks or, you know, um, um, housewives. I thought that was a great um, idea and it got great reviews. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It did. No, it got great reviews and it did pretty well. And it had a really good fan fan base too. And we're really hoping to have, it was meant to, we were meant to shoot another season last year and it was just, it literally, we were meant to start shooting in March of last year. So you can, everyone knows what happened in March of last year. We with the whole world shut down. So, you know, we've been, and so now, it's on hold. It's on hold and we're still trying to figure out and it, you know, the problem with television, like anything, is that you stop something for a year and a half, two years, which, you know, and, and still travels not back to where it is and people can't really, you know, you can't really, it's very hard to create a reality show that was about travel and photography and shooting and this, that, and everything else with all the restrictions that we have. Um, especially reality shows, which are shot on such a budget. So, but that being said, I think it's a great show and there's a great ideas and it really is about the fact that there's so many people fascinated with photography and, and what have you in the world right now. Yeah. Do you know Tony Duran? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, I, Brad uh, modeled with him and Brad knows him very well when we were in LA a couple of years ago, 
we had such a great weekend with him. I mean, he seems so eccentric, not he seems, he is a very eccentric person, I will say, but he was really fun to be with. And I have to tell you, people just show up at his house, they swarm around him. And it feels like you probably get the same treatment because you have so many things going for you. I mean, aside from the height, the accent, the career, the talent, do people constantly throw themselves at you? And how does your wife feel about that? Oh no! I mean, first of all, no, not really. They don't really throw themselves at me, but I, I, I certainly, you know, I, I feel very lucky and fortunate to have so many opportunities and people who are being very kind and what have you. But you know, I, my wife has always been incredibly confident, independent, and you know, knows her worth. And I like to hope that she knows how much I adore her, so that there has never really ever been any jealousy whatsoever of any shape or form in 26 years. And I would say that's probably one of the most the strongest reasons why our relationship is so successful is because she completely 100% trusts me. And I think that that's often one of the mistakes I think people make in a relationship is that that lack of trust, if you don't trust that person, then it, you know it, it's it's often a, an indication of how you are actually i think you know if you don't you don't trust yourself that's why you don't trust other people because you perhaps might do something and she is just that solid as a rock kind of person and in fact on the contrary she will say oh you should cast this woman this model this girl this she's she's i think she'd be a better cast for you she'd be you know try this out on her this outfit this thing and she's very involved in the whole process and yeah, it just isn't an issue. I think she knows that if, if I wasn't interested in being with her, then we just wouldn't be together. And as I am, we are. You know, and it, How did you meet your wife? She was a, a model and uh, I was actually, it was one of her agents who found her and came to me and sort of said, oh, you know, you need to meet this woman and her twin sister. And I literally, the day I met them um, in Milan, 1994, uh, it was about, I think it was like, I forget what exact date it was, like April 12th or something, and we met. But I called my mother that evening and I said, Mum, I've met the woman I'm going to marry. Now, it took me three months just to even go on a date with her. But I knew that day, that evening, I told my mum that I'm going to marry this woman. And my mother thought I was crazy. She's like, she's a Chinese woman from Alabama. You're a Sri Lankan boy from England and you're going to get married in Milan? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, your, your wife is also mixed race, but many different mixes. Is that, is that right? Chinese, um, Norwegian, Scandinavian, German... Russian, and uh, there's a bit of Irish in there too. Yeah, and boy, is she beautiful. Uh, but why did it take you three months? Uh, I had a bit of a reputation, I think. So, um, you know, of what being a playboy, a reputation? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, playing the field a little bit too much. So, my wife, you know, I'm saying I was a kid, I was, you know, I don't know, 22 years old, or something like that. So, you know, and living the high life in Italy as a male model. So, you can only imagine. But, um, you know, the, and, you know, this is in the mid 90s as well. So, you know, it was a very different world that we lived in. And, uh, you know, but then I, all of a sudden I met this girl and was just like, I, she was like the kindest, I think the most beautiful woman I'd ever met in my life. And she was just a girl herself. That's the funny thing. She was just 18, 19 years old. Wow. And at what age, when you married her, how old was she? I guess eventually she was 25 when we got married. So nice. we dated for a while and we then waited another five years before we had kids. So we had this great like decade run of being lovers and friends and you know fiancés and all the rest of it until before we got married and, and you know and before we started having kids so it was it was a nice ability and we you know we never lived together and actually together in the same house until we got married so that whole five seven years she lived in milan i had my apartment she had her apartment she moved to paris i got an apartment she got an apartment we went to new york i had an apartment she had an apartment the whole time her father was a 
sort of you know really serious into you know the Baptist faith and didn't want another boy living with her and all the rest of it and actually it was the I, although I was like a bit upset at the time because I'm like I want to be with her um but but I'm sure but, you w were with her I'm sure you were of course but I wasn't but, but the living not living actually really gave us space and I think it helped especially a young relationship yes. we probably wouldn't have survived if, we, if we'd had to be forced on each other right you know I kind of like that I, I kind of agree with uh that scenario you know do what you want but I think living together uh, is not yeah. the best idea. When me, me and Brad started living together, I made him keep his apartment. Even though he was with me, I made him keep his apartment for years. I wouldn't even let him sublet it. I kept saying, listen, in case anything goes wrong, I'm still saying it, Nigel, 20 years later. <laughs> if I keep him on a long leash. Tell me about Vive. Tell me how you just launched this. Um, tell me what it is. because well, It's a health, wellness, and fitness uh, platform that will be officially launching at the end of the year. But right now, we just launched the Instagram. It's at the Vive. And it's really an aggregator of the best-in-class curated platform of really the coolest um, personalities, the most interesting people in fitness, the best trainers. You know, if you look out there in the world of fitness right now, you know, you know, I'm someone who helped create a gym called the Dog Pound, you know, which is full of celebrities and, and really cool people and musicians and, and, and pro athletes. Yes. Am very, I going to be able to get a membership? I can get you in there. I, I want to get in and I want a free membership. I'm that's it. I'm calling in my yeah, shit. This is the thing. There's no membership to the Dog Pound. It's by invitation only. And then it's a, it's a pay as you go. So there's no membership. It's an interesting model. Great. So you're getting me in there. I'll do my best. For decades, I've been going to uh, Equinox. And uh, before they uh, went corporate, it, they used to let models um, work out for free. And I always talk about this on the podcast when I have fashion people on. And I would love to go after work. You know, we, and I used to go 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And it was like a party. It was like a modeling agency party. It, it was incredible. And that's what this seems like, the dog pound. It that seems like a really cool... Is, except we're very big on TikTokers and all the rest of it. You know, so... Uh, Addison Ray and, and all the rest of it. There's lots of, you know, a lot of big models and actors and are all there, but it's it's a lot of people from the communities that we know and we understood. But, you know, Vive is actually a, a really inclusive, diverse platform that has, you know, it's going to have characters, personalities, brands all in one place. So what we're trying to do for the, for the audience is sort of say, look, if you're into fitness, if you're into health, if you're into wellness, which by, by all accounts, we all need to be at this point in our lives, especially with what's going on in the world with the pandemic, we all realize how important our wellness is. You know, we've done the, business, the work for you. You can go to a place where it's curated and it's really the best in class of all these different brands, apps and personalities. So you know, otherwise, there's 40,000 fitness apps in the App Store. You know, there's countless places to go. You know, and we've also made it really eclectic and cool. So you can go everything from sort of bar to boxing to calisthenics to you know, how to actually train to swim, but in, in, a, in a digital platform. So um, this is all on the same... Think of it almost like a Netflix of, of fitness. Wow. And wellness. Is there, do you also have... Um, we have mental health. We have nutrition. We you have, do have mental health. That's great. Sex therapy, you name it. We're going to get that. Wow. So this really... So now how do you become a member of that? Well, it's when it launches, you can be able to subscribe. So at the, currently, you can go to vive.co and it's vive with a one, v1ve.co. Yes, and remember, v1ve. Vivre, which means to live. So the word vibe literally means life. So that's what it means. It's a full 360. Amazing. Uh, do you work out a lot? I have been, you know, I'm someone who works out. I have a gym at my house. I'm a big rower. Um, I, I've always, I've been into fitness my entire life. You're not letting it go. You're not letting the body go. I'm trying not to let anything go. Now, yeah, of course. Yeah, I can tell you're going to go to the grave with a ripped body. <laughs> you're going to have it all.
I'm going to try. Try. I know me too. It's very hard. Anyway, it was such a pleasure to have you on. I have to tell you, and uh, you really are very well-rounded. There isn't anything you don't know about or don't do. So well, good for that, you. That's not true. I'm sure there's plenty. There's a lot I don't do. And there's, there's much I don't know anything about at all. I try my best. I try to be informed and, you know, I just try to be honest, to be honest with you. It's, well, good. It's really, that's it. Next time, I'm going to find all the things you don't know. And that, those are the things I want to ask you. I look forward to it. Okay. Thank you, Nigel. All the best, my friend. Same to you. Thank you, buddy. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you like what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.